0: As we end the year, I have been studying the book of Jeremiah and the correlation between Jeremiah's day and our day is simply astounding. And so we're going to spend a few services in this book looking at the nation of Judah and Jeremiah the prophet. Let's start reading in verse 1 the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah of the priests were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. So we look at the book of Jeremiah and the condition of Judah, Judah was full of idolatry. They had refused to repent. God raised up a man named Jeremiah and called him, had a special purpose and a special plan for his life. And the Bible says in verse 5, The Lord came unto him, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, I sanctify thee, I ordained thee. And I'm thankful that God has amen for every generation. I look back and I love to listen to preaching. I miss the preachers, the older preachers, those that I heard in my youth, Bible preachers. This is the generation that's heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a teacher. I want someone to stand up and boldly proclaim the word of God. God had called this man for this moment, and he had sanctified him. He'd set him apart, ordained him. And I thank God for men with a calling. i not against everyone serving God, but if you're going to step out, and whether it's pastor, be an evangelist, or be a missionary, you better have a specific calling, and he had that. But let me say this, Isaiah, how many of you remember Isaiah's testimony in Isaiah chapter 6? He was a volunteer in God's army. He was the one that lifted his hand and said, "Here, my Lord, pick me, send me. Jeremiah had to be drafted. So the word of the Lord comes to him and says, Jeremiah, I've got a task for you. Now at this time, Jeremiah was probably only 18 or 20 years old. And he said, ah, Lord God. That's the way many respond when God gives them a task. They respond in fear. And part of that is because we know our own human limitations. We know what we can and cannot do. We just forget what God would like to do through us, through his Holy Spirit. And he said, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord shot that down. He said, say not that thou art a child, thou shalt go. Now, he gave him two commands. You'll go exactly where I send you, and you'll speak exactly what I tell you to speak. Now, that's any man of God. We don't have a choice of where we go or what we say. Now, that's how you know and can identify a false prophet. That's someone that's adding or subtracting from the word of the Lord, saying what he would like to say or what pleases the crowd. But Jeremiah, and any man of God, a true man of God, has no choice in what he says. He's supposed to simply preach the word of the Lord. And he said, you're going to speak exactly what I command you. Verse 8, now... It's not going to be well received. That's not just this generation. We like to think that certain problems are unique to our generation. That's not the case. You can go back thousands of years and you'll find out when Jeremiah was trying to preach to them the word of the Lord, it was not well delivered. And as I've preached, I've watched people make all kinds of faces. God said in verse 8, "...be not afraid of their faces." For I am with thee, Uh, now here's the promise, God offered him specific protection, not the kind that Jeremiah wanted, because he said simply, I will deliver thee. Now, Jeremiah would have liked to have heard, I'll deliver thee from all problems in life, and I'm going to give you a great salary with wonderful people and a loving congregation, you'll never be sick, you'll never face hardship, you'll never have to deal with betrayal. But he simply said, I will deliver you from your enemies. By the skin of your teeth. You'll escape with your life. That's it. You're going to have to be satisfied with that. Look at the promise in verse 19. They shall fight against thee. What a promise. Thank you, God, for letting me know. The whole nation is going to fight against me. But he said, I've got a good word for you. They shall not prevail. Uh, In other words, they won't be able to take your life. (laughs) They'll be able to do everything except that. For I am with thee. Now, look at the command that was given to him, his specific purpose in verse 10. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms, and he gives him six commands to root out, pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Now, that's not what we want our preacher to do. No one, saved or unsaved, wants the pastor... The man of God to come in to root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. I thought you were supposed to be positive. I thought you were supposed to build up and help us out. Do you realize four of these commands were negative in their connotation and only two were positive? You're supposed to pull down, destroy, throw down, root out. God had taken this man. He needed a forceful messenger in this time of spiritual decay. And let me say, as we study some of Jeremiah, you're going to see the parallels between our society and and Judah, a nation that had simply forsaken God, uh, forsaken His commands, and were no longer even ashamed of their sin. They didn't even have the ability anymore to blush at their wickedness, their spiritual idolatry, and adultery, and fornication. And God here chose a man with conviction and compassion. And here's what we want. We want a man with compassion and little conviction. Here's a man that was strong and principled to his very core. And he had to be because, you know what, in the ministry, I found out that much of the ministry can be done in the flesh. None should be done. But I enjoy sing soul saved. I enjoy singing. I enjoy listening to the bridge. I could do some of that in the flesh. I enjoy being in this environment. I enjoy uh, watching people respond to the gospel. I enjoy sitting down one-on-one and doing discipleship. But can you imagine, here's a man that had no church, had no choir, had no special music, had no congregation. Here was a man that was not seeing converts. Here was a man that was not able to baptize those that had recently been saved. He had no additional motivation outside of the word of God and a calling. Said, so doesn't matter who responds or how they react. You just do exactly what I told you to do. And he did for 40 years. Now, can you imagine some get tired after 40 months? And here was a man with no converts, simply preaching and re-preaching the same message over and over to the same congregation with the same response. We hate you. We hope you die. And if you don't die a natural death, we'll find a way to kill you. That was his life, in and out of prison, constantly being scorned and mocked and hated and suffering on every level, But determined to be God's voice to a dying nation, God never leaves anyone without a voice. Oh, you'll hear people lie and say, what about those that have never heard, but there is no such case. God always reveals light to those that want light and even to those that don't. And here was a nation that had turned their backs on God, forsaken his law, gone their own way, done their own thing. And here's Jeremiah exhorting and warning and begging and pleading and praying and weeping over this nation, hoping that they would turn back to God. And they did not. And as a result, they'd faced 70 years of captivity. And here's what you will see if you read Lamentations, Jeremiah. Utter devastation is brought to this nation. One of the future messages, we'll talk about how widespread the far-reaching consequences of their sin and how everyone, the innocent as well as the guilty, paid an extreme price because of the sin of this nation. I think as we look at our nation, the direction we've taken and the sin, if we just talked about the sin of abortion, the murdering of the innocents, which is spoken of and referred to repeatedly here in the book of Jeremiah, God cannot let that go unpunished. We too must suffer the consequence. And Jeremiah's legacy would not be one of fame. That's what most preachers would like. A pat on the back, some kind of national recognition. But he was never praised, never honored, always hated. Yet for 40 years, he remained faithful. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. Go with me to chapter 45. Commentary made to Barak, the scribe of Jeremiah, his companion. One that suffered greatly simply because he was with Jeremiah, categorized as his friend, and was also imprisoned. But he helped Jeremiah pen much of this book. And here's Jeremiah's word To Barak, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spake to Barak, the son of Neriah, When he had written these words in the book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Barak. Look what it says verse 3. Thou didst say, Woe is me now. Now be careful, because as a born-again child of God in this generation, you know, we look back over the past 200 years of our history, and we see how well Christians have been treated. Matter of fact, there was a great respect for Christians in Christianity for nearly a century in the history of this nation. If a pastor would walk into a store, into a place of business, he was treated with great respect. And we thought that would last forever, but oh, how times have changed. It's easy to think, oh, woe is me. I'm a Christian in a filthy and wicked and vile world. My philosophy, my beliefs, my core values are totally different than those of this world. Be careful. Be careful. You'll find yourself repeating these words Oh, woe is me now. For the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing. I find no rest. Verse 4, Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold. Now Jeremiah is repeating what God had told him years earlier. He's repeating this to his scribe, to his friend. Here's what the Lord commanded us to do. I have built that which I will break down, that which I have planted I will pluck up, even this whole land. Now look at the counsel that he receives. Seekest thou great things for thyself? got to be careful because most that go into the ministry have great things on their mind. How many times have I talked to young preachers and we're going to go and we're going to do this and we're going to plant a church and we're going to turn a continent upside down for God and amazing things are going to happen. You put people in a ministry and preacher, you know, the person that was in that ministry, they didn't know anything about building a ministry and I shall go in and I will build it up and Make this succeed, and be careful about seeking great things for thyself. Here's the advice: seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. Thy life will I give unto thee for a prey. That—that's not what Barak had expected when he had joined Jeremiah, the prophet of God. He knew God's hand was upon him. And he thought, I'm going to ride his coattails and great and mighty and powerful things are going to happen. And then he's hated and he's just read the word of the Lord, those 15 chapters that God used him to pen of Jeremiah. He read those to the people and the response was amazingly negative. Now you're going to find these men back in prison and Barak is saying Hey, what happened to the good life of a preacher? And Jeremiah said, hey, I've been dealing with this for a long time. If you're seeking great things for yourself in the ministry, you got into the wrong profession. God's going to make our life is a prey in every place that we go. Now, I said all that to get to the message this morning. Here's what I've understood for the first time in 21 and a half years of ministry. As a young man, you read Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yea, not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's one of the first verses we learned in school. But the reality of it, Did not hit me because you go to the field and in your youth, people, if you can preach, if you can win souls, if you can work in the ministry, you're put on a pedestal. And oftentimes, you're praised, you're patted on the back, you're loved, you're admired. But at some point, God says, in order to take you and your ministry to another level, I'm going to have to crucify you. And here's what we don't like. We don't like the reality of Calvary. We read and we're so thankful for what Christ did for us on the cross by shedding his blood and giving his life. And then when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, we don't understand. Calvary means what Christ experienced, we will have to experience because a crucifixion is all about the utter and total devastation of your flesh and of sin. And Christianity in this generation doesn't want to have anything to do with a crucifixion. Now here's the truth I need you to leave here with because we're living in a different day and age. And those of you that are over 40, you've seen great changes in your nation over the past 30 years. In Christianity, that used to be so easy and going to church and soul winning and participating in ministry and giving and all these things used to be easy, but that is all changing now. With our economy and the changes that have taken place, giving is going to become more difficult because now you have to give not out of your excess, but out of what you don't have. Giving might actually become sacrificial giving. And soul that used to be easy because people would invite you in and talk to you now. No one wants to hear. And now in order to be a good Christian, you actually have to live a crucified life. And that's not Christianity that's been experienced in the United States of America. Oh, it's Christianity that others have understood around the world because they have faced some level of persecution or poverty or problems that we've not faced. But Jeremiah living in this day and age quickly came to the understanding in order to do God's will, I'm going to have to go through a personal crucifixion and that is what is no longer preached behind our pulpits. Our pastors are not living a crucified life. Oh, what a rude awakening four or five years ago. When God looked at Adam Thompson and said, if you're ever going to go to the next level and truly be used by me, I'm going to have to take you to your own personal Calvary. And all those things you read in Scripture now have a new light. Because when the praise stops and the applauding ends and suddenly there's a humiliation, there's accusations, suddenly there's a new burden and physical discomforts and suddenly everything that you saw good as a benefit of being a Christian is stripped from you, now you really have to live a spirit-filled life. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Just as Jeremiah took a look at Judah and he saw the wickedness and he grieved, they call him the weeping prophet because we see for 40 years he's broken over the state of his nation, the impending doom, knowing that they refused to repent. But he carries on. And here's what I want you to see this morning the comparison with Christ's Calvary and Jeremiah's Calvary because God looked at him and said, you're going to have to live a truly crucified life. Now look what it says in Isaiah 53. The prophetical chapter that Isaiah wrote concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see amazing similarities. Things that were written about Christ his life and his crucifixion, things that you'll read about in Jeremiah. Look what it says, Isaiah 53, verse 3. Speaking of Christ, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living. Let me ask you this, Christian, today. How real is your desire to be used of God? There's a lot of things we don't understand in life. There's a lot of times I've heard Christians asked why. Well, here's our explanation. God needs you to overcome self. You know why we had very few crucified Christians over the past few decades? This, these were the decades of abundance. These were the decades when our flesh was pampered and exalted from our palate, the foods we ate and the clothes we wore and the cars that we drive and all the things that we enjoy in life are simply a constant pampering of the flesh. It's hard to live a crucified life in those conditions. Now I'm speaking to a very small portion of this crowd this morning because there's a very small portion or percentage that truly wants to be used of God and is willing to take the next step to be used of God because it demands absolute crucifixion, devastation of the flesh. God will allow you to live a certain length of time and function in your flesh. But at some point, he's going to ask you the question. He's going to put things into your life that will demand a devastation and a crucifixion of your flesh. Now, if as Christians we're sitting back and saying, well, is God against this and is God against that? You'll never reach a point of being used of God, living a crucified life. Crucified Christians, don't ask about this minor detail or that minor detail. There's nothing too great to give up for God. But there are a group of you here this morning, you are in the process of a crucifixion, you are going to face your Calvary, and God is looking at you and saying, I'm going to introduce things into your life that will devastate your flesh, and let's see what happens. Because all that is good that we expected out of the Christian life has suddenly disappeared, it's dissipated. We ask ourselves, where are the blessings? Where's the hand of God? Where's someone to stand with me? And I want you to see several things. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 12. Here's what the Bible says about Christ and His life and His crucifixion. John one eleven says he came to his own. His own received him not. He was forsaken by his own. He was betrayed by his own. He was plotted against and conspired against by his own friends and family, his own people, his own countrymen. Now, when God wants to take you to Calvary and devastate your flesh, those that you thought were friends those that were closest to you, maybe even those of your own household, those that you were raised around and those that you thought would be lifelong friends, at some point, Satan will use them against you. That's part of your Calvary. Do we not see that in the life of Christ? We like to sing the song, I'm crucified with Christ. We just don't like the reality of the crucified life. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 12. Now, let me explain before we read this verse what is happening. Remember Josiah, the story where they were cleaning out the temple and they found the book of the law? the books of the law. Most likely they found maybe Deuteronomy. They begin to read it and Josiah said, hey, we need a spiritual revival. We need reformation. We need something to happen. And they were used to, Israel at this time was used to idolatry. Their pagan priests and their pagan idols and worship in Jerusalem had been abandoned. And now there were actually places of worship, high places throughout the whole land. And false priests, pagan priests that were living off the people. So here's what Josiah did. He sent Jeremiah out. Jeremiah was traveling from village to village and city to city, and he was helping establish the Reformation, and he was helping tear down these idols, eliminate these false priests. Do you think people are going to be happy with that? When priests suddenly have lost their source of income, when people have suddenly had their places of worship destroyed, The nation was not happy about that. Now, look what it says, chapter 12, verse 6 For even thy brethren and they, the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Do you think when Jeremiah got into the ministry, he ever imagined those of his own household? Do you think he ever imagined those of his own town, those of his own city, those friends of his youth would be turning against him and dealing treacherously with him? It never crossed his mind. Look what it says in chapter 11, verse 21. Therefore thus saith the Lord, the men of Anathoth. How many of you remember that? city that we read of in Jeremiah chapter one, that's Jeremiah's hometown. So those in his hometown, his own friends, his family, those that he went to grade school with and middle school with and high school with, those that he knew from his childhood now were plotting against his very life. They that seek thy life saying, prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. They said, you won't have to travel around the country and worry about someone else. We'll slay you with our own hands. Verse 9, the Lord said to me, a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah. Here's what we don't like. Just as Christ came into his own, his own received him, just as he was betrayed by Judas, a close friend. Just as he had his own disciples abandon him in his moment of crucifixion, God says in order to crucify your flesh, I may have to use those of your own household or those friends that you considered so close and so dear. You never thought they would betray you. And how many of us at some point in our life look back confused never imagining that some of our closest friends would not just turn their backs on us, but then attack us. God says, I'm using that for your good, for the utter devastation of your flesh. We like the fact that he shed his blood, his precious hands were nailed to that. We like that because we know with that came our salvation. But we can't picture ourselves there. God says, that may be where I have to take you in order to use you. I need the total annihilation of your flesh. Look what it says in Jeremiah 419. It said back in Isaiah 53, He was bruised for their iniquity. Here's what we don't like when it's personal. Calvary for Christ meant the innocent suffering for the guilty. I want you to think for just a minute. If you have children, if you've gone to work in this world's environment, if you're busy in a ministry, we like to think that for every good there is a, recompense upon the earth. There's only one problem with that. Most of our recompense is in heaven. So the Bible says about Christ Calvary, he was bruised. We're talking about someone that's innocent, 33 years without ever having committed a sin. We're talking about although he was reviled, he opened not his mouth. He was falsely accused. Day after day, month after month, attacked. They physically sought to end his life. We're talking about the perfect son of God, Emmanuel, meaning God. This was God in the flesh, God with us. They were attacking God in the flesh. Can you compare your righteousness, your holiness with his righteousness or his holiness? I don't care how even-tempered you are, how kind and gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving you are, you cannot compare to the very Son of God. And if they hated Him in a state of total perfection, you think you will never be falsely accused or hated. Well, I'm trying to be merciful, I'm showing forgiveness. I'm offering kindness and mercy and love. I'm being long-suffering. And despite that, look at what I'm being accused of. Here's what the Bible says. He was bruised. Christ was bruised, not for his iniquity, but for their iniquities. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you ready to be bruised for someone else's iniquity? That's what Calvary means. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 19. My vows, my vows. He said, I ache to my kidney, my liver, my heart. I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. Bruised for someone else's iniquity. Let me ask you this. Who was the only man in this nation standing up for truth and righteousness and proclaiming? The word of God. There was no one else pained over their sin. Everyone else was enjoying their wickedness. As they worshiped their false gods and committed not just spiritual adultery, but physical adultery and fornication and lewdness. As they laughed and as they mocked, as they passed over the limit, no longer even felt any shame over their wicked deeds. It was not the nation that was crying for their sin, but it was Jeremiah who was feeling that pain. You better be careful because you as a father will be bruised for the iniquity. Listen, you know what it is when a child goes astray? It's a mom and dad that cry and grieve and weep. Well, that child is momentarily enjoying the pleasures of sin. He'll suffer the grief at some point, but for now, it's the innocent that suffer, not just with the guilty, but more than the guilty. Number three, he was despised and rejected of men, acquainted with grief. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20, verse 10. For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it, All my familiars watched for my halting. You know, it's one thing if we had to say our enemies waited for us to stumble. They watched and hoped that we would fall down and not rise again. But when it's our familiars, doesn't that change the dynamic of life? You're not hurt by your enemies. You can deal with that. You expect that. But what about when it's your familiars, your friends? What about it's someone that you loved and someone that you helped? When they go on Facebook, if you're going to do the work of God, you better be used to being bruised for someone else's iniquity That's part of Calvary, your Calvary, not his Calvary, your Calvary that God is using to devastate your flesh. And when we shrink back in horror, God says there's a lot of flesh there that I still have to deal with. Isn't it amazing how we respond when God is trying to crucify our flesh for us since we don't have uh, the manhood to do it? It's not like we're going to stand up and blaspheme ourselves or take a hammer and smash one of our own fingers. That's not within us to perform. So God says, I'm going to have to help you out. Look what it says in chapter 20, verse 14. Here's what Jeremiah says. He is despised. He has rejected 40 years of rejection, 40 years of hatred. And at some point, he's a little tired of the circumstances. And he said, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bear me be blessed. Don't raise your hands, but maybe you've had a moment or two and you said, Cursed be the day when I was born. <laughs> Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. But at this moment, it hasn't made me very glad. Verse 18, wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? Here's what a crucifixion does. We don't like it. Strips you naked, strips you of all beauty. You know what we like? To be considered beautiful. This is why women hate to age. What about this wrinkle? We don't like the graying of the hair. We like the strength and the beauty and the vigor of youth. And crucifixion is all about being stripped bearer of all beauty. What's the Bible say in Philippians 2, verse 7 of Christ? He made himself, this is the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the maker, the creator of all the universe, made himself of no reputation. You know, the majority of our life, is spent trying to establish some kind of reputation. We like it. I remember he's a young preacher, 20, 21, 22, going to conferences and going to, to, to meetings and being around preachers. And at 20 or 21, 22, you are totally ignored Unless you trip and fall or lose a plate off the side of the table, no one recognizes you. Those that are important at the tables don't ask you to come and sit with them. In your mind, you face the frustration of no reputation. I wish I was 20 years in the ministry so I had some kind of reputation. And God says, That's not the purpose that I have for you, Jeremiah. You don't need a reputation. This nation despises you. It laughs at you. It mocks you. You don't even have a reputation among your own family and your hometown. You have no reputation at all. All you have are haters. But I can use you because that is crucifying your flesh. There may be a handful, maybe five or ten Christians in here this morning that could really be used of God and go to the next level. Some of you, God's not trying to crucify your flesh because he, he knows there's no interest, there's no desire, there's no longing to be used of God. But if you're longing to be used of God, God says, I must first crucify your flesh. Here, Jeremiah is facing the fact that he is despised and rejected. Isn't that not part of Calvary? acquainted with grief. Look what it says in Jeremiah eleven nineteen. 19. How many of you remember the phrase that we read in Isaiah that said, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter? You remember that phrase? Look what it says about Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah eleven nineteen. 19. But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. How many of you ever felt like getting into this ministry getting into this situation is simply like being a lamb led to the slaughter all i'm doing is offering my neck that's it there's no benefit here for me i've realized that too late i can't back out that's part of the crucifixion look what it says Jeremiah 26, verse 8, he was hated by the very people that he came to save. Let me ask you this. What was Jeremiah's message about? It was one of repentance, and he said, listen, if you repent, God will deliver you. If you repent, God will keep these things from happening to you. Although he knew it was not going to happen, he still was begging and weeping and pleading and hoping against hope that someone would repent and turn back to God. And they did not. Now let me ask you this. Was he begging for his own salvation? No. Those 40 years that he spent preaching were to save a nation. The very people that he came to save were the very ones that were hating him. Look what it says in Jeremiah 26, verse 8. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end that speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the people, that includes everyone then, it wasn't just the world, but those that were supposed to be standing up for truth, the priests and the prophets, they all gathered together and the people took him saying, Thou shalt surely die. Wait a minute. Aren't people supposed to appreciate the good that you're doing? How many of you have ever made a sacrifice? You've gone out of way. Maybe it's something as simple as preparing for a class and you get these little heathen together and you prepare a lesson, you invest in in goodies and sweets and treats and you get the props and you've practiced and you've invested eight or ten hours and that's not even including the money that's involved And none of them, not one of those little devils even appreciates what you just did. And you think, I'm investing in this? Investing in in ingratitude? No one is getting saved and no one is getting discipled and no one is getting baptized. And what about the fruit of my labor? What about a little appreciation, capital A? guess what you get? You get a mother with an angry look. Well, my son came home and said, David swallowed a fish. And Goliath was slain by Jonah. What is wrong with you? Can't you get your Bible stories straight? And you want to say, that little heathen never even listens anyways. It's not what I told him. You think after all my hard work, now I have mothers that are upset and dads that are angry and a pastor that thinks I'm teaching false doctrine? People looking at me as unqualified. The rumors are spreading. What do people, I noticed when I walked in the auditorium, now there are people that don't even look at me because they think I don't know anything about Jonah. (laughs) You've been there. You've invested, you've sacrificed, you've prayed, you've prepared. You've worked, and then in the end, you got nothing positive in return. You know why? God says this isn't about you at all. This is about my great name, not your great name. This is about my son being glorified. And if you're not willing to be acquainted with grief, facing Someone else that you're trying to help, despising you. The very people that you're trying to help and save are the very ones that are lashing out and attacking you. You don't understand that God is allowing you to face your own Calvary for your good. Look what it says in Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 13. When he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the ward was there whose name was Arijah, the son of Shomiah, the son of Hananiah. And he took Jeremiah the prophet saying, thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Now, here's what you have to understand about Jeremiah and what was taking place. At first, he was prophesying doom and saying, listen, the Chaldeans, the Babylonian army, they're going to come in and take us captive. But after a while, he told the king, listen, I wouldn't even resist. God has already chosen our doom. There's no reason to fight. We'll only be destroyed. So you know what the accusation became? You are a spy for the Chaldeans. And as soon as they come in, we know you're going to switch sides. That was a lie. That was not the truth. That was a very hurtful accusation because who in this country loved their people of the land? Who loved Judah more than Jeremiah? Jeremiah. But who he was, his very essence as a preacher was loving the people that landed. They were pointing a finger and saying, you're a traitor. No, they were a traitor, not just to their God, but to their nation by refusing to turn from their sin. But the very sin they had committed, they were now accusing him of. Be careful because when you have false accusations, most likely the person that falsely accused you is accusing you of something he himself is guilty of. He said, you're a spy, you're a traitor. And then said, Jeremiah, it is false. But let me ask you this. Should anyone be surprised when they're in the work of God and they face false accusations? Because what did Christ face every day of his ministry? False accusation. There is nothing more devastating than a false accusation. And here's here's the way that Satan has tripped up so many. Matter of fact, his title, we think of him As Lucifer, here's his biblical title, the accuser of the brethren. Don't ever forget his most devastating tool because you can handle a lot of attacks, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. But very few are strong enough to handle a false accusation because there's no defense except for time. Time reveals truth, but most of us are impatient, too impatient to allow time to reveal truth. And time has revealed the truth that Jesus Christ was the sinless son of God come to the earth. But during his life and under his ministry, how many forsook him because they believed the false accusations made against him? Jeremiah is there alone. Remember, he's already been attacked by his own family, his own friends, those from his own hometown, and now he's being called a traitor. Face that. Say, preacher, how is it that I'm doing right and I'm standing for God and I'm, I, I, I am not bending on truth and I'm living principled and I'm reading my Bible and I'm loving the Father. How is it then I face these accusations? Christ is taking you to your own Calvary because he says, if you open your mouth and you react, I've still got a lot of flesh to deal with. You know what the flesh does? Screams, yells, I'm innocent. Christ, when dealing with accusations, uttered not a word. If you could understand how much greater God could use you if you'd simply embrace your... Cal- here's salvation, here's what we don't like. Salvation is embracing the Christ on the cross Conversion is embracing the cross of the Christ. And all of you at some point that God saved you embrace the Christ of the cross. But the cross is something most Christians don't want to embrace. And that's why Christ looked at Peter and he said, When thou art converted, will you embrace the cross, Peter? Your life will change, and it did in the book of Acts because we see a young man that embraced at some point the cross, and most Christians say, if it means being forsaken by my own, being betrayed, bruised for their iniquity, despised and rejected, hated by those that I'm seeking to save, I'm out. Go to me in chapter 37. Look what it says in verse 15. Wherefore the princesses were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him, put him in prison. Remember what we read in uh, Isaiah 53? Prisons and dungeons and, boy, we hate that word. Now, I don't think any of you have ever literally been in prison. But there are prisons that face us I'm not talking about a state or a federal penitentiary. But prisons, dungeons, mire. There may even be a prison that awaits us at some point for the sake of Christ. I know no one likes to hear that. Christians, I'm telling you, we are entering a different age in Christianity. And what is fake, what is chaff, what is false, what is fluff, what is self-centered will be blown away. This is a time when you're going to have to stand up and make a choice and say, do I really want to live for God or do I really want to live for myself? And this kind of preaching scares most of us. So deeply that some will say, if suffering is included, I'm I'm going home. Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon. Look what it says in chapter 38. When he thinks things can't get worse, they do get worse. Jeremiah 38, 6. Then took they Jeremiah. They cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah the son of Hamelech. That was in the court of the prison. They let out Jeremiah with cords. And uh, look what it says in the dungeon. There was no water but mire. Now they were trying to kill Jeremiah. They put him down into this muck and into this mire. We don't know how deep it was. But can you imagine basically what we'd call a sewer hole. Whether it was up to his knees or his waist. Try standing or sleeping when you know the rot and the filth that you are standing in, the disease, the stench, the rats, that's where you have been placed. That is your reward for 40 years of preaching truth you say, God, where's my congregation? I was expecting a 20,000 square foot building in my name and the sword of the Lord. And I was expecting a worldwide ministry. And I was expecting people to say, I recognize you. You're the great Gino Sharp. What a minister, what a preacher, what a family man. What a man of faith and courage and dedication and commitment. Glory be to God for the Sharp family. But not. Nah, I don't know what he's doing with all that money. They would like to know about it all as much as you would like to know. (laughs) And he's still saying, where's all the money? Accusations will come and problems will come and hardship will come and many will ask, so this is the benefit of selling out for God? God says the benefit is the devastation of self so I can be honored and glorified. And here's what you'll see and here's what I've seen in the ministry. Those men, old oh, Brother Bishop was used and Brother Eddie and Brother Matt and myself can remember back in the days of college when Brother Bishop would come in and preach at chapel and there was an effect and his preaching was powerful and there was something to it. But then one day he woke up because of spinal meningitis, because of pain that was so severe he couldn't even speak. He lost his mind. Rehab meant learning again how to talk, being reintroduced to his wife and his own children when he lost everything, stripped of all beauty. Now listen to Brother Bishop preach, and the hardest heart will be broken. God said, I've got to take you to Calvary first. That's what we don't like. We want a mountaintop experience, just not Mount Calvary. We are honestly more concerned about our name than his name, our glory than his glory, our results than his results. Better buckle your seatbelts. Because being a Christian in the next decade is going to be totally different than it was in previous decades. And in order to do it, in order to be faithful, you are going to have to live the crucified Christian life Is that even a desire? Are you willing...